Happy Mother's Day to all of you in the room and watching online. What a gift women are to the world, to the body of Christ, to the kingdom of God. I want to give a special shout out uh, to my wife, Rosie, in the room here. Happy Mother's Day to my wife. Amen. And my mother watching online. Happy Mother's Day to my mother-in-law as well. And my sisters. Let me keep going here. So uh, before I get in trouble, say, so you left me out. Uh, what a gift. Uh, for those of you who are watching, those of you on, in this room here, wanted to remind you of how we're doing things at New Life uh, moving forward. This is the second week that we have gathered together in person. And as the weeks progress, you know, we'll be opening up just a little bit more and wanted to just remind you of how we're doing things, whether you are watching online for the first time or maybe you've come in here and you're here for the first time and you're not aware of this. A couple of things we just want you uh, to know. You can register online. We're doing things at this point by pre-registration. And so every Monday, uh, a link goes out to those who are part of our mailing list. You can join our mailing list if you go on our website, newlife.nyc. And we send something out and we want you to register at that point. We're still at about 25, 30% capacity in this room. We have kids ministry available in the shell room in a limited way, so just let us know if kids are going to be joining you for, for a time of worship. Uh, but that's essentially it. We, we are asking people, as you are just faithfully doing in this space here, just uh, remembering social distancing and face masks and all that, one day this will all be behind us, amen? Uh, but slowly but surely, by God's grace, we are getting there. And there's plenty of FAQs for those of you who have a lot of questions. We have uh, gathered all the questions that we can think of and we've heard and we've responded on our website to help you gain clarity as it pertains to what worship looks like in this particular season. But uh, thrilled that you are with us. We are, in a we are in a series of teachings right now through the book of Romans chapter 8 and I'm going to teach for about 20-25 minutes through Romans chapter 8. And so if you have your Bible you can turn there. If you're watching online you can turn there. But we'll have the verses on the screen as well for those of you um, who don't have your Bible in hand. We're looking at Romans 8, which is one of the great chapters in all of the Bible that covers a range of different themes, a range of different truths about who God is and what our relationship to God is to be. And we have been uh, focusing on verses 1 through 8. And so if you're like, this is my first time listening to you, I want you to watch the previous sermons that we've given in the past three weeks at some point this week so that you are caught up on what we are doing uh, this Sunday. But Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse number 9, hear the word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Verse 12. And this is where I'm going to be focusing on uh, really for this message. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live according to the spirit and you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you 
will live. But I want to focus there in yellow there. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Let's pray. Lord, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts to the truth you long for us to hear today. Uh, open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes, and may the name of Jesus be glorified in our gathering today. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, Amen. Obligation. That's the word I want to focus on today. Obligation. Many people don't like the word obligation. It's a word that often feels very constraining. It can come across as emotionless. And in a culture that often determines whether we should do something or not, whether we feel like it, obligation can come across as very oppressive. I don't want to do it. I don't feel like doing it. Therefore, I shouldn't have to do it. And this is why we have a hard time with the word obligation. But obligation is actually a very important word because there are certain things that we must do whether we like it or not. I've experienced this in marriage. If you are married, you have an obligation to live as if you're married. <laughs> Say amen, somebody. <laughs> one of the ongoing, I'm not getting deep here at this point. This is pretty straightforward here. One, one of the ongoing challenges of our first few years of marriage, Rosie and I, which comes up from time to time here and there, is living like I'm married. Let me explain. One of the things that Rosie says to me with gentleness is, Richard, and whenever she says Richard, I know I'm in trouble. Richard, you have to remember that you're not single anymore. And she has to remind me of this, especially when it comes to food. When we first got married, I would buy something as I'm out and about, and I would come home with that food, but I would not bring her food with me. And so I'd come in, get a slice of pizza, I'm having a great time, I'm eating, I, I bought the pizza, and I walk in, and I sit down, and I'm about to eat, and, and, then, and then Rosie says, um, where's my slice? And I say, I didn't know you wanted a slice. And she said, you didn't ask me if I wanted a slice. <laughs> Red, one of our pastors a number of years ago said, Rich, that's why you got to eat the slice before you get home. I said, amen. <laughs> amen. All right. Eat the Snicker bar before you get home, okay? Uh, and hide the evidence, all right? Uh, I've learned that to be married means that I'm obligated to live in that way, that I'm not just thinking about myself as an individual, but I belong to someone, and it is my duty to live like it's true because it is true. In the same way what Paul is getting at in Romans chapter 8 is, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we have an obligation to live as if that is true. God claims us as his own. God rescues us. God saves us. God forgives us. And God calls us to reflect that reality. And this is what we're seeing in Romans chapter 8. 
Now, what I'm going to do for the next five or six minutes is I'm going to give you a summary of where we've been in the past few weeks, since you, maybe you've missed it, and then I'm going to focus on this word, obligation. At the beginning of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul begins with these words, therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Those two words should get us to shout. Those two words should get us excited. Those two words should make us sleep well at night with peace, because God's says over us, those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. And what we've been exploring about that phrase is that to to say that there's no condemnation means a few things. It means that you know what the verdict on you is going to be. It means that you don't have to live in fear or uncertainty. It means that God has made up his mind about you already and there's nothing you can change about that God has made up his mind about you no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus in other words God does not have uh, uh, want us to have a he loves me he loves me not kind of relationship it's often the case that we have that kind of relationship with God we said our prayers he loves me didn't pray today, he loves me not. We've been reading the Bible, he loves me. Can't find your Bible, he loves me not. Going to church, he loves me. Haven't been going to church, he loves me not. God does not want us to have a he loves me, he loves me not kind of mentality. Why? Because those words, no condemnation, speak to the truth that God has already made up his mind about you. Amen. And so whether you feel it or not, that is true, brothers and sisters. And so Paul begins by saying, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul continues right after that to give a little bit of commentary on the law. And he says that in Christ, in Christ's death, he condemns the power of sin. He condemns sin's condemning power over us. And so because of that, we have a new status We have a new identity. We have a new standing with God. But this standing is to lead us somewhere. In Christ, he fulfills the law for us. But in Christ and in the Holy Spirit, the law can be fulfilled in us. In other words, when Jesus died for us, he just didn't do something for us. He did something for us so that he can do something in us. So we could live the way of love in the world. So we could fulfill the requirement of the law, which is love. And to surrender to this way of life is to set our minds on Jesus. That's what we focused on this past week. To be in the Holy Spirit is to live in an ever-deepening surrender to Jesus Christ. And so again, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The cross condemns sin. Christ fulfills the law for us, the Holy Spirit fulfills the law in us, and we are called to set our minds on the desires of the Spirit so that we can live this out. That's where we've been the past three weeks. Now, in verse 9, Paul says, remember, you are not in the flesh. You are in the realm of the Spirit because Jesus Christ lives in you. And then Paul tells us about our future in verse 11. Look what he says in verse 11. He says, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. 
Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but Christian faith, Christianity, is good news for our physical bodies. Christianity is good news for our physical bodies. Jesus didn't just come to save our souls. Jesus came to save every part of who we are, and this is good news for our physical bodies. Why? Because we're headed towards resurrection. This is the hope of those who are in Christ Jesus. Your body might feel frail and weak. Your body may feel limited and feeble. But one day, God is going to give glorified life to your body. This is why whenever I make a hospital visit, whenever I come across bodies that are incapacitated, I look at them and think, one day, this person is going to be raised up into newness of life. They are not going to be identified by their frailties. They're not going to be identified by their limitations. They are not going to be identified by their feebleness and frailty. One day, they're going to be raised up with strength like never before. That's where we are heading. That's the salvation story in the Bible. The salvation story of the Bible is not one in which the spirit is separated from the body. The salvation story of the Bible is that our bodies will be given life by the spirit. And we are to hold on to this, especially when we see sickness in the world. Especially when we see death in the world. Especially when we see hopelessness in the world. One day God is going to make all things new. I've been thinking about this this past week. We lost one of our new lifers this past week. A woman by the name of Fran Dial. A beautiful woman. And Fran's been a part of our church for 14 years, 15 years. Last night I was looking at all the email exchanges that I had with her and realized that she's been coming since 2006. She led one of our prayer meetings uh, on Sunday. She had a, a contemplative prayer session with a small group that met upstairs every single Sunday. She was a woman of such encouragement, a woman with such a life of God in her. She would sit upstairs after, at, 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 at every service outside there, and when I would come up to go to my office, she'd call me. And even the later stages of her life, when she was very frail, she would say, Rich, come here, come here. And I go up to her, and she'd put her two hands on, her hands on my face, and she keeps saying, you're getting better. You're getting better. And she would say that every Sunday, you're getting better. And I was so grateful if, if friends said that about me. I felt so grateful, so motivated, so energized. When I would see her in our church, very frail, see her, she's been through a lot. And then I read this passage today, I said, we had to say goodbye to our dear sister just a couple of days ago, but one day our dear sister is going to be raised up with newness of life. One day she's going to have a glorified body in the name of Jesus, that this is what awaits those who are in Christ Jesus for all of us. This is the hope that we have. And so Paul says, one day the Holy Spirit is going to give life to your mortal bodies. And after he goes into that part of the story, he says the word, therefore. Therefore. 
In week one, I mentioned that whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask yourself a question. Why is the therefore therefore? Because everything that Paul, whenever Paul says therefore, he's making a connection. I've said all these things here, therefore it has implications for our lives. In Romans chapter 8 verse 1, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, in Romans 7, he was talking about the oppression of sin, the way that sin can so capture us and enslave us. And in Romans 8, 1, he says, therefore, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us, there is now no condemnation. Paul, once again, comes back to the word, therefore. But this time, he says, therefore, we have an obligation. In other words, look at everything God has done for you. Look at, he declares no condemnation over you. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives you mercy. He gives you grace. He gives you a new life. Therefore, you have an obligation, not to the flesh, but to God. In light of what God has done for you, you now have an obligation out of gratitude towards God. When I think about what Paul says in this verse here, I think about my favorite Broadway show of all time, Les Mis. I've watched Les Mis a number of times with Rosie on Broadway, watched the movie a number of times, read Victor Hugo's book. Uh, it, it's about 3,000 pages. I got to page 700. I said I quit. Uh, let's just go to Broadway. Uh, but, but I've read 700 pages of Victor Hugo's Les Mis, and I watched the Broadway show, and I've watched the movie, and I can't get enough of it. The story surrounds a guy named Jean Valjean, a man who's defined by grace. And after spending 19 years in a French labor prison, five years because he stole bread, 14 years because he tried to get out of prison, he's released on parole with nothing. No one will shelter this ex-convict. And he finds himself alone and friendless, and one day as he's tired, he wants to fall asleep on the steps of a church. And the bishop of the church finds him there, and he feeds him. And he gives him a bed for the night. And as the bishop is sleeping, everyone else is sleeping, Jean Valjean repays the bishop by stealing his silverware and running away in the middle of the night. And in the middle of the night, he is caught by the police. And the police bring him back to the bishop, anxiously wanting the bishop to press charges. And one of the more famous acts of all of literature, when confronted with the thief, the bishop tells the police officers that he in fact did give him all that silverware, but he says, my friend, my friend, you forgot the best of. You forgot the candlesticks, the, the best stuff in all the church. Here are the candlesticks. And the police can't believe it. That this bishop would give this man something. And so the police leave and the bishop looks at Jean Valjean in the eyes and says these words. He says, and remember this, my brother. See, in this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man. 
By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God. I wish I could sing that, man. I wish I could just sing that right now. I wish I could sing it. Valjean would spend the rest of his life attempting to live into the gift of the bishop. The bishop said, look at the grace I've given you. Look at the mercy I've given you. Look at the forgiveness I've given you. Now I'm calling you to live into that new reality. I have bought your soul for God. This is what Paul is saying. Look at what Jesus Christ has done for you. Look at his love. Look at his grace. Look at his mercy. In light of that, therefore, brothers and sisters, you have an obligation. In summary, what Paul is doing in these verses is he's holding together two words that are often separated within Christian faith. He's holding the two words acceptance and obedience together. Acceptance and obedience. He's holding these two words together. For some of us, we emphasize acceptance. God loves me. I know God loves me. But we don't emphasize obedience. He loves me and he could care less however I live. Or we emphasize obedience, but we don't emphasize acceptance. What Paul is saying is we are to hold together acceptance and obedience. It's often the case that we have a very complicated relationship with these two words. And there are many ways that these words relate to one another. And I want to show you a diagram to help you understand the various ways that these two words relate to one another. And maybe you can find yourself on this diagram. There's a, there's a relationship between acceptance and obedience. And I want to just explain the four ways that we typically live into this. For those people who have a, a theology of high acceptance, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, but low obedience, I call that person a Jesus fan. You're a fan of Jesus. He's a good guy. You like him. He's loving. He accepts you. It's wonderful. Are you going to listen to him? No way am I going to listen to him. Why would I do that? I want to live my own life. I want to have a good time. And in this here, you're a Jesus fan. But to live as a Jesus fan is really to emphasize cheap grace. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian of the 1940s and 50s, 1940s. This is cheap grace. It's grace that doesn't demand anything from you. It's God loves me and I'm going to do whatever I want. That's this quadrant. Down here is low acceptance and low obedience. In other words, God is irrelevant to me. I could care less about God. I could care less about whether God accepts me or not, and I can care less about whether to be obedient to God or not. And in this case, there's a functional atheism. In other, we live as if God doesn't exist. That God, it's irrelevant. And this is found within the church and outside of the church. A functional atheism. Then on this quadrant here, the lower right, is the legalist. It's high obedience, but low acceptance. And so this is a fear-based performance mentality. That I better do this, I better do that, I better do this, or else God is going to just send me to hell. And we live in that reality. 
And so I better say my prayers. I better go read the Bible. I better do good things. I better do... Why? Because if I don't do those things, God is going to judge me to hell. And so the emphasis is high obedience and low acceptance. And this area, what this often leads to is resentment. Resentment. This is the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son. The elder son does whatever he wants. He's having a great time, having a party, losing all the money. He comes back. The father throws him a party. And the elder son said, I've been a slave to you every single day. I never left the house. I never had a party. I managed all my money. And you never threw me a party. And the father says, son, everything I have is yours. You've been living in this quadrant. You've been living a fear-based performance mentality. This is not what God calls us. Jesus doesn't call us to be a fan. He doesn't call us to be a functional atheist. He doesn't call us to be a legalist. He calls us to be a disciple. One who recognizes the free love of God. God's love is free and generous and greater than you could ever think. God's mercy and forgiveness and love is, transcends any category we have in our mind. It's someone who lives in that place where you wake up in the morning and you go, Lord, thank you for your love. Uh, thank you for new mercies, that, mercies that are new every single morning. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your provision. It's someone who lives in this reality that I've been accepted by God and Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. It says, Lord, in light of this... I want to follow you. In light of this, I want to listen to your voice. In light of this, I want to live like you. In light of this, I want to do the things that the world says you shouldn't be doing. In light of this, I want to forgive my enemies. In light of this, I want to give generously. In light of this, I want to do good things. Why? Because it's flowing out of the acceptance that you've already demonstrated to me. This is where we're called to live, and this is what Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, you have an obligation. Not an obligation that's wooden. An obligation that flows out of something. And I want to spend the last three minutes or so, four minutes, focusing on how we get to this place. How do we live as a disciple? How do we live not as a fan, not as a functional atheist, not as a legalist? How do we live as someone who holds together the costly love of following God and following Jesus in this world? And in short, there are two invitations I want you to hold on to this week. For us, there's a mental shift that must take place, and there's a practice. A mental shift and a practice. Here's the mental shift. The mental shift is recognizing something about God's grace, that God's grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. It's often the case that we put grace on one side and works on the other, and we pit them against one another, which leads us to emphasize one thing over the other. That's not how Jesus does it. That's not what Paul does. As a matter of fact, grace and works are on the same side. What's on the other side is earning. God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. When you receive the grace of God, it's supposed to, the effort of actually living that out is supposed to flow through us. We're, we're, we're channeling that. But what's on the other side is not effort, it's earning. And so God's grace, God calls us. He, he says you have an obligation now. But you're doing it not to earn God's love. 
You're doing it because you've already received it. You've already received the love of God. Therefore, God's grace is not opposed to effort but to earning. We should meditate on this statement all week long until it gets deep down in your soul. God's grace is not opposed to effort. God's grace is opposed to earning. That's the mental shift that must take place in our lives. But here's the practice. The best kind of obligation flows out of gratitude. When you recognize how much you've received, that's the best kind of place for obligation to flow. I've received so much from God. I am so grateful to God. Therefore, I want to live in a way that pleases God. And so, brothers and sisters, this week, when you're faced with a decision of whether to be generous or whether to be stingy with your money, remember the generosity of God towards you. And by God's grace, choose generosity. When you are faced with a decision to pray for someone or to gossip about them, Amen, somebody. Remember the God who speaks good words over you. And out of gratitude, choose to speak good words over someone else. When you are faced with the decision whether to be honest or whether to lie, remember the God who is truth and calls us to live in truth and choose the way of honesty. When you are faced with a decision to speak on behalf of the poor or to ignore the cries of the poor, may you remember the God who loves the poor and the God who comes to their aid. And may you come to the aid of the poor as well. When you are faced with a decision to remain faithful to your spouse or to please your own flesh, Remember the God who is faithful to you. And out of gratitude, choose the way of faithfulness. When you are faced with the choice of whether to pray or to spend hours playing Candy Crush or Fortnite, may you remember the God who wants to spend time with you. And may you choose the way of prayer. We have an obligation not to the flesh, but to God. We have an obligation not to ourselves, not to God. Therefore, there's no condemnation. And therefore, we have an obligation. Amen. 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 Let us pray together. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Whether you know it or not, God has been good to you. Pouring out mercy and grace. The air that you breathe right now is a gift from God. And we are called out of that place of receiving. To offer now our lives to God in this way. We have an obligation. It's a word that we often don't like. But this is God's word to us. Look at what God has done for us. We are called now to respond. I wonder today, as I put up that quadrant and that two-by-two image, 
where are you living? Are you living in a place where, yeah, you, you admire Jesus? You're a fan, but you're doing your own thing. Or are you totally just having, ignoring God? And maybe today you're realizing God's trying to get my attention. Maybe you've been focusing so much on your behavior and your obedience that you've forgotten how gracious God is towards you. And you're basing your relationship with God on your own performance. Wherever we're at, this passage is calling us to receive this grace, to receive the acceptance of God, and to live out in obedience to Him. Lord, thank you for the gift of your love, which is better than life. Captivate our hearts this day. Move our spirits. May we be a people who take seriously this call to give expression to what you've given to us. We pray these things in Christ's name and everyone said, let's all stand together. Okay, would you lead us in a chorus of just a, a song of response? This is a great time for us to just sing our response to God. And let's just sing for a moment. Kate will lead us and then I'll close our service together. has been poured out to you on this day and Paul says therefore we have an obligation as we close our service I want to thank you for joining us online and uh, thank all of you for worshiping uh, with us in person it feels so much better when there are people in the room uh, it's good to have company uh, in this place in here as we close our service here I want to remind those of you online we have a sermon discussion time for about 30 minutes, 
uh, after this service. And there's an area where you can click on the screen uh, to just join. Pastor Jackie will be uh, in that room. And so if you want to uh, ask questions, if you want to share a little bit on your thoughts on what we've been exploring today, we do that for 30 minutes every Sunday. And so feel free to click on that link to connect with some other new lifers. In addition to that, maybe you've been watching, maybe you're in this room, and you realize you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you said yes to coming to a church service. Maybe you said yes to maybe reading the Bible here and there. But you've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're watching online, there's a number on the screen which says you can text the phrase yes to Jesus. And if you're in this room as well, you've never made this decision, you can simply take out your phone and text yes to Jesus as well at this number. And one of our pastors will love to follow up with you to help you just start your journey, to help you take that next step. And maybe you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to say yes, but I sure have a lot of questions. And I'm feeling to go in that direction, but I just need someone to help me. We'd love to do that. And at the end of the service, I'm going to be outside on the porch area. And if you're feeling that stirring inside your soul, come up to me. And I'd be happy to help you take the next step on your own journey. As we close our service, as we always do, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We close our gatherings in this posture because the world is filled with so much cursing. And so we receive out of which we give to the world. And so with your hands in your hearts, in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, remembering the grace of God over your life remembering the forgiveness that Jesus has given you, remembering the mercy that is new every single morning, and out of that place, remembering the obligation we have, not to the flesh, but to the living God. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen and amen. Grace and peace to you all. For those of you in this room, feel free to have a seat for a moment. Pastor Jackie's going to come up and give you some final uh, announcements before we head out. I'll be on the porch there. We'd love to greet you as you leave. Hey, everybody. Just want to put you in on um, just some updates.